Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. Today's film is arguably, possibly, maybe Daniel Craig's final outing as Bond, Spectre, which I've always enjoyed saying as James Bond Inspector. Uh, It just seems like a lot of fun. Just a heads up, guys. Warning, we will be spoiling a lot of elements of this film. We've seen it. We want to talk about it. That's what we're here to do. This organization, do you know what it's called? Its name is Spectre. Look around you, James. Everything you believed in. A ruin. Why did you come? I came here to kill you. You came here to die. Well, it's all a matter of perspective. So, Lloyd, you like Daniel Craig as Bond, don't you? Yeah, um, I think. Um, I, I think he's a very, very good James Bond, and I also love Pierce Brosnan as James Bond. I think the only one I've had issues with was the Australian, um, who's very close to where I live, Canberra. Um, I think he grew up in Queenie. George Lazenby. Yeah, that's the one. I think he was the worst one by far. I grew up with Sean Connery as my Bond, personally. Nice. Well, I'm sure we did this conversation when we did the Skyfall podcast. That's available on our website if people want to find it. Spectre, James Bond visceral kind of um, experience at times. Daniel Craig has really brought a lot of realism to the character. Um, I suppose in the same way Christian Bale did for Batman, you know, it's a sort of whole new world for uh, James Bond. This is the thing. Spectre is this evil organization of these faceless people. They're everywhere, Lloyd. Um, The octopus insignia, which reminded me of Octopussy, basically they've got their fingers in everything and um they've apparently been a part of everything daniel craig's james bond he's been the author of his unhappiness or whatever he says it's uh, a lot of exposition and a lot of digging into the previous films i know um, and i'm really disappointed to say that i didn't have time to watch quantum of solace and i've just heard so many negative things about it i avoided it for so long and i really wanted to watch it in time for this podcast but i just didn't have the time well, this is the thing. I mean, Bond should be mostly standalone, its own adventure. This one relies quite a bit on previous Bonds, which, I mean, they've, you know, they've made a lot of money. They can assume there's a built-in audience there, and they're kind of continuing this flow of um, Daniel Craig as James Bond. But I feel like there was a lot of nods to the past uh, that maybe shouldn't have been there. 
I love the opening. I'm going to put that on record, Lloyd. Oh, um, it, it was amazing. It was it was so Orson Welles esque. With uh, I'm specifically referring to Touch of Evil, where you got that single tracking shot, and um, I just love that setting. Uh, it's also in Mexico, where you got the Day of the Dead sequence, and everyone's just. I just love that look, and it, there's just something really interesting about all that, um, and that fight scene in the helicopter. You know, that, that was really really well done. Absolutely, and the Day of the Dead stuff made me think of Robert Rodriguez, and it, it it was all the amazing amount of extras, and and it felt very real. Yeah, it I think- reminded me a lot of, uh, obviously there's references all throughout Spectre of the other James Bond films, but in particular I think it was one of the Roger Moore ones, uh, Live and Let Die or Living Dale, I'm, I'm not quite sure, I get them all muddled up, but there's a voodoo villain in that, and it just reminded me a lot of that. Baron Samedi, I believe, is the villain. Yeah. Look, the whole building collapse was great. That was in all the TV spots. I thought that initial opening shot of James Bond where he's wearing the skeleton suit, I thought at that moment, for a moment, that it was Christoph Waltz. (laughs) Yeah, same. Yeah. For a second, I was like, okay, this is Christoph Waltz. For some reason, we're opening on Christoph Waltz. And then when he takes off the mask, I was like, oh, it's Bond. Like, just for a second, I I was lost there. But the... I think the tracking shots were made up of four shots. I don't think it was quite one opening. I think there were joins when they shot that. But I did wonder if... This is just a very odd thought I had. But you know when uh, Daniel Craig is walking on the rooftop before he sort of sets up his gun and he hops over that very little gap between the buildings? I was thinking, I wonder if they've you know put in a green screen of that. and He's just done a little hop. Because for, like, insurance reasons, imagine if he'd fallen. Well, I heard um, the reason why he started walking after um, the guy in the white suit was because Daniel Craig had hurt his knee during the shooting of um, uh, of uh, Spectre. And uh, they, Sam Mendes had to quickly come up with a sequence, like, okay, why does he stop running after him? And he decided to have a lot of police presence, a lot of people, like, actually in the crowd. So that's why there's this whole slowdown of a chase sequence and he's walking after him. That was pretty um, okay. interesting. I've read some people say that the pacing of this film was wrong and that, you know, at 158 minutes, I think I read... It's very um, long. It's a very it's long very movie, long. yeah. yeah. And, and maybe stuff like that slows the film down. It's the lo- longest uh, James Bond movie and the most expensive James Bond movie ever made. But it also has a Guinness World Record, Lloyd. Did you hear about that? Uh, was it the biggest explosion? That's right. Wh- which In explosion the, uh, was that? It must have been the crater where the entire building complex goes well, up. Was that scene weird? Like, that's the main headquarters of Spectre, this top-of-the-line... Um, you know organization and he blows it up with one shot i don't know if he planted bombs or if that watch did more but it was like he shot at that gas canister or whatever and it blew up the whole place that was so jarring to me it was very star wars how there's one weak spot uh, (laughs) on the death star you know and if you hit it and all, all those innocent people like i know they're working for an evil organization but i'm just thinking they're just computer programmers you know they're just there typing away you know and did they all die or was just the whole you know did they evacuate them i i, I all those questions just kept popping up in my head that took you out of it i'm guessing the um that makes me think of you know austin powers how the henchman gets steamrolled and uh it cuts to the wife of the <laughs> I, I love that aspect that that's fantastic some people have compared this film to Austin Powers. You know, he's got a cat. He's, you know, <laughs> evil genius. 
the Sam Smith stuff, the Spectre song he sings, I didn't mind it. A lot of people have hated it, but it's all very much part of Bond. I thought it was fantastic. I, I love that. It's not as good as Skyfall. Um, and that that's the biggest issue we're going to talk about on this podcast that's going to keep surfacing is that there's a big white elephant in the room and that elephant's name is Skyfall. Like, that film is a masterpiece and Spectre is coming off that and I just don't think it lived up to that expectation. Like, as good as... It's just not as good as Skyfall. Um, and the opening sequence, the Adele song for Skyfall is so beautiful. Um, and uh, Spectre just, uh, I don't think, hit like hit it on that level but it did a very good job i love that opening like there were so many details to it great design and yeah it was just really really great i as well i really enjoyed skyfall um one of my problems with spectre that i had was that it was very predictable i kept going oh this is what's happening here and it was each time you know every time i watch bond i want to see that person double cross or that you know mole within the agency but for this when M, the new M, played by Rafe Fiennes, is talking to the C, you know, I was like, oh, that guy's probably a bad guy. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> and, you know, it's clear that he's a bad guy in every sequence he's in. And I, The Im- detail's pretty interesting about him, like he's just slightly unshaven. <laughs> like, it's just that weird look, like he's, uh, I don't want to say a Steve Jobs of this organisation, but like, you know, he's this political power and he just looks a bit too young for it. I don't know, his face just doesn't fit. Yeah, but as well, I mean, sort of when he's trying to put together the Nine Eyes program and get all the countries on board, I was like, okay, so who would benefit from that program? An evil organisation would love to know what nine countries are doing. You know, I just sort of put the pieces together a little bit quicker than I should have, and there was maybe too much exposition. I'm not sure. I, I said um, on our Skyfall podcast that Skyfall is the best Bond film. My only complaint with it since I said that in our podcast was that it it was so dark. Like it, it takes it took away a lot of the fun that I usually associate with Bond movies. I remember picking up the box, and this is recently, and flinching, like thinking about spending the next couple of hours going down this like tense spiral of darkness. Whereas the other Bond movies, I see it as spending like two hours of fun seeing cool bad guys super ridiculously Mm. good-looking women gadgets and fun fun set pieces and i think specter comes back to that the film has so much humor which was really surprising I, i thought this was a lot of fun um but my biggest issue with specter which we'll get to are the there's so many badly choreographed um action sequences that just really took me out of the film just yeah yeah I'd love to talk about one now. So, Batista's in this film, which I did not even realise. <laughs> yeah, avoid- same. I had to look it up. I, I had my... I was like, oh, man, that kind of reminds me of a big wrestler dude. I know him from... He must be a big wrestler dude. But then I thought, he looks so Arabian. And a Batista, mm. by the way, is half Filipino, half Greek, which I was just like, what? Because <laughs> I thought I was a pretty big half Filipino guy. That guy is ridiculously massive. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't really know it in this. In this, he's covered up all by suits. And they could have had a sequence where, you know, his arms were ripped out of the sleeves or, like, he took the suit off and he was 
he's ripped you know he's a big dude but it, was, it felt a bit wasted on this yeah well the fight scene on the train with Batista uh, Mr. Hinks whatever his name is is a homage obviously to From Russia With Love with Sean Connery and he fights Robert Shaw that's one of my favourite Bond films uh, unfortunately it reminded me of how great that fi- fight scene was and how cool of a villain Robert Shaw was who as well up until that scene he doesn't say very much at all but Robert Shaw just through his eyes and his physicality just tells you so much more you know D- I think Dave Batista is an absolutely fantastic physical actor with a great sense of comedy that was displayed in the brilliant Guardians of the Galaxy and unfortunately I think he was misused here like there's a lot they could have got out of that character um, you know just giving him one line no dimension he's just a big goon and, and that's it like um you know, like uh, the other Bond fil- villains, there was something memorable about them, whether it was Jaws with his teeth or, you know, um, uh, I'm forgetting the Bond villain in Goldfinger where he throws the hat. Um, uh, all I can think of is the shoe now in Austin Powers. That film has ruined the Bond. <laughs> Sorry, Odd Job. Is it, is odd, it odd Job? Is it Odd Job? I think Odd Job's the guy, yeah. I've seen Goldfinger like a thousand times as well, so I should really know that. Batista in this, I. I avoided quite a lot of the promotional material to go in as fresh as I could. I did see TV spots and uh, I think a teaser trailer back whenever. Uh, But I was surprised to find Batista in this. I'd avoided him. Like, I'd avoided knowing he was in this. And it seemed like he'd had, like, Botox or something done. Um, His face looked a little off. I couldn't pick if it was the heavy makeup or what it was. Batista? Um, Yeah, on Batista. Wow, I didn't um, notice that. I just thought it was the beard that threw me off. <laughs> that, it could be it. It could literally just be the beard that was throwing me as well. He has but. such a violent, extremely violent introduction that it just yep. seems out of place for a Bond film, like where he plunges his fingers into the person uh, person's eyes and then he snaps the neck and then we have this immediate car chase, um, which I never felt, by the way, that Bond was in danger. It, it, I thought it was just that so... That was com- what I wanted to talk about. Yeah, yeah, it was just so comical as Spectre only sends one... One car after Bond and the streets of Italy just seems empty the car chase sequence and this is because this film recently came out in Mission Impossible 6 was so superior unfortunately this movie reminded me of so much of Mission Impossible 6 which I think is an excellent excellent film the the reason why the car chase sequences were exciting in MI6 was because the threat to Tom Cruise was real he really does get hurt you can feel his body is on the line the whole time and the great thing about Skyfall um, that that what it does is that it keeps reminding us of Bond's age. Every physical um, scene Daniel Craig engages in, you're constantly thinking, is he going to break that, you know, maybe he's taken too many beatings and his body will fall at any, you know, second. And Inspector, there, there wasn't any of that. Like, he's so invincible that all the threat and, and tension just goes. And I only felt that he was in danger... W- in that torture was in that torture sequence where you know um uh, blofeld is putting in all those um drills into his neck and the, the reason why that was effective was because it was so visceral and having that car chase sequence man that was that just you know i love the comedy of it but it just wasn't there was no tension there i feel like you know you say they send just one person after bond all those people in the shadows at specter they're saying things like we're winning and stuff it's all very comical the fact that you can't see any of their faces it reminded me of the beginning of zoolander <laughs> where where they're all there you know is talking anyway i don't know what the point was of hiding christoph waltz 
Yeah, you know, I like, knew it was Christoph Waltz. The whole audience yeah, knew it was Christoph Waltz. You know it's Christoph Waltz, exactly. Um, anyway, but they hid him for a while. Like, you didn't see the front of his face. And, and I don't know if that's just mystery for Bond. I hate it when the audience knows much more than the characters because it takes them too long to catch up. Look, the car chase, you know, there was no ammo in the car. The music was for 009. You know, it's just comical stuff. And he had to eject from the car. I just felt like the car chase was lazy like Batista pulls up next to him just so we can get a shot of Batista yeah all he was doing was mean looks like he was driving next to him mean looks I'm like gosh Sam Mendes maybe you should watch um, Fast and the Furious 6 you know when they're in London and they have to it was so much more exciting maybe you should have watched Mission Impossible 6 you know like just to get some ideas because yeah all it was was that scene where that Fiat or that Italian um, local driver who was the only seemingly the only person that existed in Italy at that time drives in front of Daniel Craig and he just accelerates pushing him out of the way like I love that comedy but where was the threat to James Bond like the whole time Batista like what's he going to do to him ram him from behind does he have super gadgets in that car as well like yeah I want to skim over a little bit of the movie here and jump to the next chase scene where Batista kidnaps the daughter Dr. Swan Uh, in the skiing lodge or wherever she's working, (laughs) doing her therapy. Basically, Batista doesn't get to speak in this entire thing. You know, he's doing everything by just eyes and emotion until the very end. And we've got this sequence where Bond steals a plane to attack them in their cars. And I thought this was super impractical and 100% Batista wouldn't be dead at the end of it. (laughs) Um, I, I like it how he's say. got the plane and the Batista and his men are driving and Bond just waves, you know, he's just got mm. a plane. That, that was great. But yeah, like how he's steering the plane, like what's he going to do? Like ram him or something? He could hurt the girl. Oh, he's literally exactly. going to ram them. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's not a, a way, there's no way he can do it without sort of hurting the girl. But yeah, he just rams them. And I was just like, what is happening here? It felt like somebody had an idea. They were like, I don't know, Bond gets in a plane. and <laughs> it, then It borders on stupidity, that sequence. You're right. But I, nevertheless, I did think that was spectacular. As well, I forgot to mention with the whole C is evil thing. They have the, you know, South African uh, people don't want to vote with them for the Nine Eyes. And then, of course, on the TV, it says Cape Town Chaos. And that's just the biggest giveaway that... C is evil, you know, putting pressure onto South Africa. I just thought I would add that in. Do, do you remembered. think it would have been better, more of a twist that C was the bad guy behind? Do you feel like the film, that was the purpose of the film, was to, like, have that as a surprise? I think the surprise was supposed to be that Bond and Christoph Waltz's character had grown up together. I think that, that they knew each other on a personal level. That was, was the, the focus of the film, definitely. The the twist and the yeah the cuckoo you know cuckoo bird well, yeah analogies well, and stuff the, the heart of this film and you're right the rest is almost just support beams like the the whole side story of C like he's just really a puppet for um, Blofeld um, really and then the reveal of him as the bad guy you know wasn't really that surprising or anything I don't think that was the strategy of the film I think the strong focus of Spectre is the whole myth of Bond himself like. Uh, the reality of this world seems to peel away and the only thing left is Bond. The film just wants to dive straight into that narrative and all the bad guys seem to be just shadows. Like, Bond's aides, Q 
M and Money Penny, like we really didn't know them at all. Like the 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 whole side story wasn't a side story, you know. Even when Bond is taken captive, um, you know, and we're left with M, and they they go to, the, I just didn't feel like I knew these guys. It, it it felt less like a team and more just about Bond and his, you know, growing up with this guy and the two sides of the coin, good versus evil, that sort of thing. I think that was the focus of um, Sam Mendes. Uh, Sam Mendes, the focus of the director. Yeah, a focus. The focus. That was his focus. That was his focus on the whole film. Yeah. So, what do you think the chances are that you know a family would take in an orphan as a child and uh, teach him to hunt and you know whatever else, ski? And what do you think the chances are that they would be also raising a monster at the same time? <laughs> like that they wouldn't realize that they're training one basically double O agent who's awesome at everything and the other one this is like austin powers and dr evil isn't it i mean same family just ridiculous (laughs) i was like thinking about this and i was just frustrated for christoph waltz in this film i felt he was underused and um i don't know i i just found it such a lazy twist but as well my I mean, I really wanted to like this. I did. I just, there's so many loose ends and like lazy scenes and things that, look, another one I thought about, Bond is notoriously a womanizer, right? At the beginning of the film, he's getting that woman into bed just so he can get good position or whatever in uh, the tower, uh, the across Mexico building shot. The thing is, both women he sleeps with in this movie, Monica Bellucci and... Um, Dr. Swan, the the daughter, whose real name escapes me. In both sequences, both women need to be on the edge of death to sleep with Bond. You know, uh, they both... Monica Bellucci's character is about to die. Basically, he rescues her and buys her five minutes, and then she sleeps with him. And it feels like, well, I'm going to die anyway. (laughs) Like, the appeal of Bond is that he's there. And then when on the train... Hinks, uh, Dave Batista's character, gets killed. They say, you know, what do we do now? And in that one, at least, sort of the chemistry that they've got going on is sort of coming to a head, but it takes a near-death experience for her to want to sleep with Bond. Yep, there's a love and death relationship there. I think that, you know, the ultimate forms of drama are probably those two opposing subjects. Um and when you, I think that was a strategy of Sam Mendes, really, just to link them so close together, that mm. yeah, like to the point where I guess at the end, um, he's got the bond for three, the bomb for three minutes, and to rescue the love of his life. That was a weird choreographed sequence. Like I understand that. Okay, you can either choose life, um, where you live, or you can choose death, um, where the girl, um and die with the girl like trying to rescue her you knew what was going to happen right away like it's just like well obviously he's going to rescue the girl and get out of there (laughs) i I have to do both because i'm batman because i'm not one or the other yeah exactly and look how much effort blofeld put into engineering all the all the things that went into that building like the pick the faces on the targets you know all the faces of his past villains on the wall and then he's behind that bulletproof glass and his only main plan was to put this bomb in there like that was just weird for me (laughs) I do want to talk about those pictures on the walls in a sec. I just thought to finish off on uh, talking about this girl, she's poorly written as well. There's, 
uh, real inconsistency, inconsistency to her when they're in Lamericane and uh, you know he's bashing the walls and stuff of the place when she's going to sleep she says you know don't come near me or I'll kill you and then when she's had like one drink she says oh I see two of you two James Bonds two Jameses lucky me like she wants to have a three-way with the two Bonds that she's drunkenly seeing she's very inconsistent in her flirting and stuff I thought maybe she was badly written I, I like the death of uh, Monica, Monica Bellucci. Um, well, she doesn't actually die, but the the um, that aspect when the staging and framing of it, where um, I think Monica Bellucci, by the way, is an extremely beautiful woman, and she looks great here, and she's in her early fifties. Like, I was just like, wow, she still looks fantastic. Um, when she returns home, puts on the music walks to a pool and two henchmen killers are waiting for her and there is a sense that she's aware of their presence like she knows that they're there and she's doing like this walk of death or something through the shadows and like she's getting ready for these um executioners to take her away and then bond guns them down um that to me was like it was unlike anything I've ever seen in Bond films. It felt so detached and so surreal that I'm not really sure the tone was right in the. In, it didn't belong there. Yeah, it, it just didn't belong there because it only adds again to that mythology strategy that I think Sam Mendes was going for. But yeah, it just didn't seem like a, a Bond thing. Like uh, the, just the way the staging of it, something about the framing of it and the music of it. Yeah, this is the thing. I feel like if you lifted that entire sequence and removed it from the film everything about monica Bellucci's, all her scenes and you just had him uh get tipped off as to where they were meeting exactly the yellow king yeah you would have cut 20 minutes <laughs> yeah of the film and it would pacing maybe would have been a bit better i felt like they almost wrote in that scene for monica Bellucci. yeah no it was very forced absolutely yeah anyway didn't fit like, he could have got that information from the opening scene, pretty much. Like, where he kills, um, where he stops the bomb from going off and he kills, punches that guy out of the helicopter and he picks up the ring. Um, you know, he could have been tipped off there. And yeah, you're right, absolutely. We could have skipped Detail could have been on the DNA on the ring or something or note in the guy's pocket. I don't know. I thought it was interesting, the scene with the meteorite. You know, a huge unstoppable force. And then he says, except it did stop right here, you know. Spectre being the unstoppable force that Bond has to go up against in this film. And uh, Christopher Waltz's character asks, you know, what did you come here for? And he says, I came here to kill you. Following that, he's like, well, why don't I show you my evil plan and base anyway? Like, <laughs> it was insane. Yeah, there was, there was when- another good line in that. Didn't he say, um, I came here to... Uh, I came here to kill you, and then he said, "Oh, I thought you came here to die." And he goes, "Oh, yeah. it's all a matter of perspective." Then that was pretty mm-hmm. cool. <laughs> but then doing the thing that all evil bosses do is like, "Well, at least let me show you my plan for world domination." Come on in, Mister Bond. <laughs> he says, "The author of all your pain." He killed Vesper Lind, who was trapped in a building and chose to drown i mean orson Welles said that's one of the weakest reasons for a villain um the psychoanalytical villain which seems to plague all modern films where daddy or mummy didn't love him enough and that's why he or she has become evil and that's all throughout spectre really in the end 
um, all the efforts of the last four Bond films has come down because one guy wasn't loved enough by the dad. He loved another mm. son. And it's just like, wow, that's cheap melodrama. People might like to look at that as a very complex thing, but uh, I, I just think it's a very easy villain to write, you know, the battered child or the left-out child. And when Bond says, nothing can be as painful as listening to you talk, which was funny, I was wondering if people would be quoting that as like a reason they didn't like this film. (laughs) (laughs) And then comes the infamous drilling scene, as you mentioned, where Christoph Waltz drills. And I mean, we can see what's happening. That made me flinch. I was like, ugh. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's not a nice sequence, but that's literally the only sinister thing we see Christoph Waltz do. Now, I suppose... Batista is his lackey in this, you know, he's got other people to do his dirty work, you know, he's been in the shadows, literally, uh, for this entire four film, you know, epic author of your pain business. So he hasn't had to get very hands on, but then he's now doing this for the first time and he's pushing a button, you know, it didn't make him seem powerful. It didn't make him seem cunning, I suppose. There's interesting details to his performance and the way he dressed, like, um, there's no socks. Did you notice that? He doesn't wear any socks. He has those particular shoes. Um, just I didn't his, notice, no. Just his particular facial expressions, and in particular his reaction when the watch is thrown and he just looks at the watch. There's some eeriness going on behind his eyes, like he isn't a normal person, you know? But, yeah. <laughs> I feel like if you had James Bond coming to your compound you would make him remove his watch <laughs> yeah, yeah i'll <laughs> check know. him down i'll go, go through a whole body um take the shoes yeah I, I love it in um uh golden eye where 006 uh played by sean bean uh, takes the watch and he goes oh is q still up to his tricks there's still this button and he presses mm. it diffusing the bomb or stopping it that was fantastic that was just like wow i know all your tricks mr bond and that yeah. really just shut it off the only thing i think saves that scene was the pen being pressed three times um in this it's just surprising for a man with complete control of security doesn't have that basic knowledge of the gadgets that bond like if you followed him for through four um events if you're the author of that surely you know some of his armory and if you have c on the inside who knows what he's getting nanobots in his blood yeah. and stuff like that i don't know maybe q just kept was so good at keeping everything under wraps like that that's just one of the things that bothered me like that climactic battle where q is hacking into the main systems of c and m has a gun to c <laughs> this is just getting confusing now <laughs> where was money penny and T- tanner like uh, were they just guarding the ground level? Like, all he had was Ray Fiennes holding the gun to C and Q doing all the hacking. Like, of course he's going to win the day. And as you said, there is a constant reminder of 009. Like, so there's references to other agents in this organization. Like, I understand Bond is the main guy here, but if you're going to reference other agents, like, why not summon them for the most important events? Like, can't Bond get help? But... You know, it, they shouldn't have made those references to make it s- seem so isolated that the Bond is the only guy that can save this. By having those references of 009, you're giving me, oh, that's right, this world is a much bigger organization. And uh, I think part of that is they'd love to do a spin-off. I think they'd like to set up a 009, you know, really? just so they can have think that? two films. Yeah, no, or a 006 or whoever. Well, th- there's a rumors that... Um 
uh, the star of uh, Pacific Rim. One of the stars. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. He was in the Wire. It's not Charlie Hunnam. Idris Elba. Um, is rumoured to play the next Bond. Maybe he could play a 009. Like, uh, I don't know if people will go for him as um, James Bond, like he's, if he's English enough, so to speak. Maybe they can go for him as 009, but I can't see them making a spin-off of, of James Bond. Like, I know that they're, they're doing that with Star Wars. They're making different variations of Star Wars, yeah. but I, I d- can't see them doing that with Bond. Well, I mean, it's essentially... <laughs> there was an interview with... Um, Matt Damon, I think it was Graham Norton, and he referred to Jason Bourne as Jason Bond (laughs) accidentally, like just slip of the tongue. And, you know, there are similarities when you're a one-man super spy kind of agent, you know. This is the thing, like you could easily take a Jason Bourne-style script and rework it to be... Uh, 009 or you know absolutely there's a a new show that's on tv at the moment blind spot which is pretty much jason with the born identity you know um where a girl wakes up not knowing a past and she's a trained assassin you know but there's something so attractive about that story exactly and i mean as well that reminds me of memento not to get off topic but um well bond is the same movie made over and over again you know, it's yeah. worked for 50 years. <laughs> That's true. Just that explosion in the crater, in the meteor crater. Just to jump back into that, there was a lot of rewrites that took place on Spectre. And apparently there was a scene where he calls up Q, played by Ben Wishaw, who I think did a really, I think did really, really good, it, good he's job. He's fantastic. You know, he's just awkward enough, but he's also competent enough. You know, there's... It's a good mix there. Uh, he's well written as well. There was a sequence apparently where he calls him to get him to blow up the base, like a self-destruct. But that obviously isn't in the film. And as well, there's as he's taking off in the helicopter there, James Bond is, you know, taking off. There's two or three cars in the bottom of frame leaving. I don't know if you noticed I that. Did. It may be Yeah, that Christoph Waltz set a self-destruct as they were escaping, you know, uh, so that, you know, evidence and things like that and everything would go. But it just seems so weird how that place was the heart of this organization. And it just seems so vulnerable from one gunshot. Uh, yeah, just, it just a, I wish the whole showdown was there and we never went to London. Uh, you know, just jumping, all of a sudden we leave that sequence, oh, is that it? And then now we're in London and there's this whole sequence where, oh, gosh... Uh, the third act, yeah. yeah. The, third, the dumbest part of the movie for me was when Bond shoots down the Blofeld's helicopter. Like, I could accept if he had a bigger gun, like a, a rifle or something, but with a small handgun, like, I was rolling my eyes as the helicopter went down. And again, that whole staging of that scene went with Blofeld crawling away from the helicopter and a Bond approaching him with a gun. It, it's like the world melted away. And the only two people that were left were, were, were was Bond and Blofeld, like like two sides of the same coin, like good versus evil. And I don't think I like that at all. And uh, you know, Christoph Waltz's reaction is just so weird. He's not smiling. He's not laughing. He's looking at Bond run off with his love, um, with the love of his life, choosing not to be that killer, not to be so blunt. He's caring for people now, or whatever the hell Sam Enders was going for. But yeah, like just. I don't think that suited the Bond 
feel. It was an anticlimactic ending, that's for sure. What, what I hope will happen now is that Sam Mendes finishes a third Bond film with Daniel Craig to complete it, and I hope it's pretty much the ending of Honor Majesty's Secret Service, where we have the Bond girl get killed, and Bond is really locked forever as an agent of good fighting the shadows of chaos and we get back to that idea of the immortality of bond and i think that would be the best place to take bond now do a third movie and an epic showdown between bond and blofeld and it will be to mendez what batman is to nolan hmm. well there's rumors of nolan taking over bond uh, yes no I, apparently he was um they were looking to do it after skyfall but um sam mendez came back to do it so yeah they dropped nolan but yeah nolan oh could you imagine christopher nolan doing bond it would be amazing (laughs) why not um for me the dumbest part of the movie lloyd was um after we and it all the dumb stuff you're right it's in that third act following the meteor crater such a big set you know such a big compound i really feel like they could have ended the movie there anyway they kidnap james bond and the two goons walk him to the building with a bag on his head and then he kills them both easily but then as he goes in they make a big deal about that net so i was like oh yeah the net's important all right they planned to get killed they planned to un- unlock the van put bond yep. there <laughs> they planned to be killed because i can picture him watching for the helicopter going excellent everything is proceeding as planned oh you <laughs> john and jack were supposed to die Damn it. They were my best guys. (laughs) They, as Bond walks in, there's text on the wall that says James Bond and has an arrow. Right? Iconic looking, cool, you know, bit of something from the trailer. But for him to see that, he would need to not have a bag on his head. So they were counting on between him getting out of the van... (laughs) And getting to that text, him killing the guards. What, what if he ran away from the building? What if he never entered the building and ran to Naomi Harris? And mm-hmm. where Em and all that were going, where he's like, oh, I got away. And I can picture, um, what's his name? A Blofeld watching from the helicopter going, oh, crap, we didn't think of that. <laughs> Just shoot him. Yeah, the great line in uh, uh, Austin Powers. You know, I've got a gun in my room. We could shoot him right now. We could do it together. You don't get it, do you, Scott? <laughs> exactly. And the other thing, too, is he's not in the helicopter at that stage. He's just standing behind the glass going, he's coming in, right? Yeah. He's, he's on his way in, right? Did, he, no? did, did he you did, make sure the red... He didn't come in? Um, yeah, the red arrows were pointing this way. Yeah, yeah, man. It took me all day. Are you sure you want to blow this up? Because I went through a lot of work straight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> As well, the, the scar on his face, it reminded me a lot of many, many scarred Bond villains. Yeah. And the one in Casino Royale who touches his, you know, leaking eye or whatever. Yeah. He, he was cool. Yeah. 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 And I just thought, oh, another eye injury. Here we go again. So, sorry, which was the dumbest part? That whole sequence or the... The, the arrow on the wall, like the, they're anticipating him killing the guards. I thought was stupid. I think I would have preferred as he's walking down that corridor looking at the images of the people in black and white that have been stapled to the wall or whatever i think i would have preferred if the current love of his life dr swan was the last picture as he's walking through they're all dead everyone is dead each one is dead and he sees her and he thinks for a second she's been killed and it made me think of you know um uh spoilers here for dexter a little bit in dexter john lithgow's character is um 
a murderer for a, an entire season. He's basically the killer they're trying to catch. And right at the very end of that season, Dexter thinks he's won. You know, John Lithgow's dead. And he goes back home and his wife is dead. But we just hadn't seen her for a while. And John Lithgow killed her in between, basically, uh, being killed himself. And it made me think of that. And uh, if she was then dead and... You know, that would have set up that kind of revenge bond that you thought of. Really, that would have forced it to be a darker movie, which I would have liked the tone of. And then at the end with the bridge, when he's going to point the gun and make the choice to kill Christoph Waltz, he definitely would have killed him because he would have, you know, struck first, basically. Or it would have been an even bigger point that he didn't kill him because it was like, even though he had killed the girl... He's still not going to kill him because this one, it was very anticlimactic. Originally, they had him shooting Christoph Waltz's character, uh, Blofeld or whatever it is. And then that that was it, which they thought was anticlimactic. I thought what happened in the actual film was anticlimactic, that they didn't shoot him. I was sitting there doing the bit from Princess Bride where, you know, Fred Savage is sitting in the bed goes, who kills Humperdinck? You know, is it Indigo? Who? And then the grandpa says, no one, he lives. He lives? What did you bother reading this to me for, grandpa? You know? I was like, who kills Christoph Waltz in this movie? Like, when is he going down? Because the way it felt to me, they didn't kill him. They want him in the next movie. Like, that's it. That's exactly like... (sighs) We've talked about Fast and the Furious. And just quick spoilers for Fast and the Furious. They put Jason Statham in prison at the end. Like... See you in the next movie. (laughs) That was exactly the same thing. Um, I just felt like there was no resolution to this because they need him for the next one. Compared to most Bond films, Spectre is really, really good. Um, I'm particularly referring to the awful Pierce Brosnan films that followed um, (laughs) post-GoldenEye. Compared to most action films, Spectre is mediocre, maybe even considered bad. It's just dwarfed by a spectacular run of action franchises such as Mission Impossible 6. MI6 was incredible, and that was just too fresh in my mind when I watched Spectre. And... Of course, Spectre is coming off the mighty Skyfall, which is a masterpiece. But overall, Spectre isn't a bad film. I think the criticisms have been too vicious. It just has a really dumb finale. Um, For us, Dave, that's our biggest um, uh, complaint about it. But I I don't think it's as bad as people say it is. Uh, Excuse me, I keep saying... MI6 I think it's actually the number five whatever it was it was was Rogue Nation the thing is too I mean you remember the beginning of the film because it was great but you really walk out of the cinema thinking about the end of the film and because he just walks off into the distance I mean couldn't they have had Christoph Waltz's character escape why couldn't he just escape and then you have Bond talking to M and saying we're gonna get him don't worry blah 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 you know didn't M the original M Asks specifically to have that guy killed. To have Christopher Yeah, Waltz's in that video, he killed. goes, find this person's name and kill him. Or was that a different person? Oh, I yeah, don't know. I, I can't, can't remember. Well, I, like what I was thinking was when he um, pointed the gun at Christopher Falls and walked away, I was just like, man, you, you're doing exactly what M told you not to do. <laughs> okay. I'm not sure. What annoyed me too was that the police were right there after the chopper crashed. Like, they were immediately fencing off the bridge and stuff. And I was like, what? (laughs) 
where'd these cups come from? <laughs> I'm guessing watching it again, I'll dislike it even more. I, I like I is- like how you can look at all the Bond films as a time capsule of their times. Like it, a lot of the problems that Bond faces are the problems of the times, whether it's the Cold War, the space race, or the drug war in the Reagan era um, with Timothy Dalton films. Um, I can't think of what the issue was in the 90s with um, Goldeneye and all that. I'd have to revisit those films. I've just blanked them out. I love Pierce Brosnan. I think it was a terrific Bond. His movies just sucked after Goldeneye. But Inspector, we're getting a huge um, uh, subject of privacy and information security and terrorism, which is unfortunately so relevant now, Like uh, especially with the tragedies that's recently happened. But uh, I, I like that how it embedded that conversation into this movie it's definitely not a new thing like batman heavily did that especially the dark knight um you know with the joker really encompassing everything about anarchy and then you have bane really what would happen if these anarchists took over what would the city be like what would the world be like do we need world world order and in bond you have that dialogue of um you know you can control a drone from the uh, from the high up you listen to all the information fire a bomb and then blow it all up but it takes really um uh, it's a different level when you go down in the trenches see the person you got to kill look him in the face and then pull the trigger like can you do that and i love it how specter um took time to have that layer in the movie a license to kill is also a license not to kill as m puts it Look, uh, people are going to make up their own mind about Spectre. I think it's an unfortunate one if Daniel Craig decides to stop. I, 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 I think, completely agree, yeah. I think uh, he's got one more in him. To be uh, how cool would it have been if Skyfall was the last one? I mean, obviously that's not happening. <laughs> well, that's not happening now, Lloyd. That's yeah. so dumb. <laughs> yeah, Skyfall like- would have been like, the biggest high to walk away from. But I wish they did a third one, get back to the full darkness of Skyfall to the point of almost death where you have the Bond girl die and then it's sort of like this rebirth of the immortality of Bond like Bond is here forever you know because he is scarred he's lost all the ones he loved doing this lifestyle you know um, living this lifestyle he it's taken away the things he loves most he's left there the only thing he's got left in existence is to fight the forces of evil and I think that would be the greatest bookend to Sam Mendes's contribute contribution to the bond franchise i like sam mendez's films and you know he's a good director he's gonna bounce back from this anyway but it seems like specter's gonna make a billion dollars i I hope it does because i think it does deserve that in a sense like again it's not as great as skyfall but it's not a very bad film like it's not like wow that was absolutely terrible like i'm glad i saw it and i'm glad i'm talking about the about it now with you yeah and uh, at the time of recording this uh, it's made over 700 million so it's on its way yeah, it's made its money um, back <laughs> yeah exactly although apparently it was 350 million or whatever uh so it was really over budget and um maybe i can't remember if it was twice as much as skyfall or twice as much as casino royale whatever it was it was a very bloated bond being the most expensive bond ever made i mean this really sets up uh that you now need an even longer stronger you know more expensive bond next shorter and darker please and cheaper (laughs) that'd be that'd be easy enough have the climax in a toilet (laughs) where they're just (laughs) fighting in the bathroom i'd like to see at the end of the next one bond lives he gives up being bond he walks off into the sunset with the girl 
and doesn't have to be this girl, it can be whatever. At the end, M says, looks like we're going to need a new 007. Roll credits. So that the position of 007 is much like the Phantom or, you know, uh, there's always one and, you know, you sort of set up that they're going to recruit a new one. And that's saying, you know, next time in the franchise, you will see a new Bond. Anyway, uh, we'll move on to other business now, Lloyd. I want to talk about The Hateful Eight, Quentin Tarantino's new film. We're going to see it in Australia in January, I believe, and I'm a little bit worried about something, Lloyd, and I want to talk to you about it. The runtime. I don't know if you know, it's 182 minutes, which is just over three hours. And there's only eight people in the cast, from what I can tell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm very much avoiding spoilers for this film, so I haven't watched any trailers or looked up much about it. I mean, I haven't read the leaked script, you know, that's famously been causing trouble with this production but i'm just wondering like inglorious bastards 153 minutes pulp fiction 154 minutes jackie brown 154 minutes django unchained his most recent one 165 minutes we may have also said django unchained was too long in our podcast is three hours too much tarantino for me, no. Like, um, Inglorious Bastards was supposed. He was considering do- doing that as a mini TV series, and I actually think um, I know Inglorious Bastards is your favorite Tarantino film. Uh, that's my least favorite because I-, I just think he introduced so many great things, but there wasn't enough time to share between them. Like, it would have been a better film without the bastards because we. I-, I felt like that we just weren't with them enough. We didn't get to know them. Um, and apparently there was so much more to that script that he had to hack down because Luke, he was at a dinner with Luc Besson and Luc Besson goes, you're one of the only reasons I actually go to the movies. So he's like, oh, well, now I have to make Inglourious Bastards as a movie so he can the made-for-TV, like the three-part movie thing that he was going to do or six part and then truncated it into a two and a half hour film but that's me because i love tarantino i love the world and he he creates and i just want to be lost in it but yeah you're right one of our biggest complaints of in uh, django and chain was that over bloated last part of the movie where after uh just spoilers for django and chain where after christoph waltz dies he gets taken prisoner and then he comes back to the house like you know it just went on for an extra 20 minutes too long I'm a little concerned about the three-hour runtime. Um, I do think if Tarantino wants to do long-form entertainment like TV, that HBO, that Netflix, that everyone will let him do whatever he wants. So, I think that will be something he does in the future. I don't know if I don't know if Hateful Eight will be the straw that breaks the camel's back, but I think that asking people to go to the movies for three hours and two minutes. Is, is a worry. Yeah, because his confidence was really shot after Death Proof. Death Proof was such a failure. It's interesting, the two directors who made Grindhouse, um, Robert Rodriguez and Tarantino, Rodriguez kept pushing that Grindhouse strategy with Machete 1, Machete 2, um, and so forth, whereas Tarantino really got away from it. He was really shaken with how badly Death Proof fa- um, failed, and he made these bigger operatic sort of movies, and um, he won, I think he won the Oscar for um, Inglourious Bastards. I, I, I don't know if he did, but he definitely won it for Django Unchained, and he's gotten so much praise for his work. I, I think he's just riding this high, and you're right, it could be the case that he's gone too far, and this could be another case where he hits a death-proof sort of arena, 
and um you know uh it really fails commercially and he's back to you know he's really shaken he doesn't know what to do what's going to hurt this film is opening up in america the same month as star wars it is very dangerous the great one of the greatest movies ever made the sorcerer by william friedkin no no one has seen it no one's seen the movie and it's one of the greatest movies ever made the reason why that movie failed was because it opened against star wars in 1977 i'm sorry i don't care if you're citizen kane you're not going to do anything against star wars (laughs) well we'll find out in due time whether or not the hateful eight will perform at the box office i am concerned but uh tarantino fans such as you and i i'm sure we'll see it and i'm sure we'll cover it on the podcast uh second thing i wanted to talk about lloyd you recently were a part of history when uh you were there at Etihad Stadium in November 2015. You got to watch UFC 193, Lloyd. I know, what an event. I remember buying tickets for this, not wanting to go. My friend had never gone to a UFC, and he goes, oh, look, I've never got... He lives in Melbourne. Shout out to Fernando. And um, I said, oh, look, I, I, I probably don't want to go see it. It's a Ronda Rousey fight. It's probably going to last 30 seconds. This fighter... Um, uh, home has only had a couple of fights in mixed martial arts. I know she's a boxing champion, a kickboxing champion. It's not going to be worth it. But you know what? I'll, I'll go with you because I'm the only friend he knows that really loves UFC. So I bought the tickets, went there. We also saw Joe Rogan perform the night before. I'm a huge, huge fan of his podcast. And it was so great. He he was absolutely amazing. Joe Rogan's stand-up act is phenomenal. And we waited backstage for him to come out. You know what he did? There was only a handful of us there, surprisingly, in the whole theater was packed and there was only a handful of us waiting to take pictures with him i shook hands with joe rogan and i said it's an honor to meet you and I, I took a photo with him which was great but the next day we woke up for the ufc we barely had any sleep and we were there from like 10 a.m and the main fight was like at 5 p.m so we saw all the undercards i was so tired i was like zoning in and out of some of the fights like not putting the ufc down or anything it's just fatigue you know like traveling to melbourne you know not getting enough sleep walking all around melbourne and so forth and i also caught up with you dave which was great thanks for showing me around melbourne uh, no <laughs> and then i remember like the great cards um before that but i remember when ronda rousey was coming out the the pre-fight videos ufc have really got that down the music the tension everything you know just really energized us but we all thought oh this is going to last 30 seconds and we'll go home and the very first punch that home throws the lead left straight just hitting ronda rousey and Ronda Rousey is such a phenomenon for women's sports, such a phenomenon for the world. Like, the fact that the entire world tuned in at, at a packed Eddie Hart Stadium for a woman in combat sports is absolutely phenomenal. This was t- talked about all over the world, the events that took place there, which is just wrap your head around it. You know, we always associate fights with a Mike Tyson figure or a Chuck Liddell or Anderson Silver and so forth or a Manny Pacquiao Mayweather, but a woman, a woman now holds center court. That is absolutely amazing. And when she charges out at, ha- uh, at Holmes, you know, no respect for a striking and the first punch that lands, you see the frustration frustration and there was just this alarm throughout the whole arena was just like oh my gosh what 
what's happening to Ronda Rousey? Bam, another one, bam, another one. And the lateral movement confusing um, Ronda Rousey. You could see her pride refusing to accept what's happening. Like her physicality was just like, no, this isn't going to happen. You know, and she was so bloodied at the end of the first round. There was a few scrambles and everything. And her corner, um, I had to watch this later. Her corner was like saying, yeah, you're doing everything right. Just keep going at her. You know, it was just like weird instructions. Second round comes out. We all thought, okay, she lost the striking take her down she doesn't she continues to fight on and she throws a wild left hook at Holmes and Holmes ducks and moves away and and um, Ronda Rousey collapses to her knees and then struggles to find her at that moment that was one of the most terrifying things I have ever seen that this phenomenal force that has ran through 11 opponents is now in the ring against a monster and it was so scary she gets hit again by a straight left falls to her knees tries to get up gathering herself where is she and then a left kick came up smacked her right in the chin she falls unconscious the ref's not sure what's happened all of us aren't, aren't sure what happened and then Holmes comes running and smashing her in the head an unconscious Ronda Rousey and the ref stopping it we all stood up all of Melbourne stood up and screamed in terror it was one of the most terrifying things Dave I have ever seen I'm sure you've seen the highlights well this is it it was shared on the news on every Facebook feed website Twitter exploded it was a huge historic moment, Lloyd, and uh, I'm happy that you could be there for it. It was it, like because Ronda Rousey didn't even touch gloves before the fight. She give, gave a lot of disrespect. She's done it to all her opponents. It's like Icarus with the wings. You know, he, she, he's been given these wings to fly, and the dad says, don't fly too high to the sun. But he gets too crazy with the wings, flies too high to the sun, and the, the, the wings melt and falls to a doom. That's what happened. She just had no respect for the opponent, thought she was just going to run through through her and oh my gosh it was so horrible day <laughs> made me think of brock lesnar a little bit um just in terms of the ufc i suppose and i'm not an expert but if you're only doing 30 second fights you're not getting a lot of ring time great point to like to like learn everything i mean and as well i mean ronda rousey's been thrown into the spotlight uh she's been in the fast and furious movie yeah where does she get time to train it's exhausting doing all those interviews she's she's written a book she's about to shoot a movie like she said or oh, after that fight i'm going off to indonesia with mark Wahlberg and peter berg to shoot a movie an original story it's just like maybe you should focus on the most dangerous art or job that you're involved with other than joining the army she is in the most dangerous sport dangerous thing you can ever imagine she's going into a an arena against a trained killer where is a focus but then again you got guys like manny pacquiao who's you know running the philippines in congress or something and he's still fighting savagely you know i, I don't know well i mean all we can say really is ronda rousey will be back won't she i hope so like i really like ronda rousey she's an ex such a phenomenal figure what she's done for women's sports what she's done for the image of women worldwide i think is absolutely phenomenal she's a beautiful woman speaks incredibly eloquently like i love hearing her talk and it's great to see her in movies like we we, we I, I sort of bashed her on fast and furious 7 you know she was terrible in that terrible delivery of lines but i I saw her in Expendables 3 and she was fantastic. Like, I really liked her. She just had so much presence, you know. Um, but 
Uh, she got a big part in the Entourage movie too. Oh yeah, in the Entourage movie, we both said that she wasn't bad in that as well. You know, so she's she, she's very relevant in so many different arenas, and the fact that she's a very beautiful woman, woman, you know, she's just absolutely phenomenal and. You know, it's just heartbreaking seeing a destruction of a legend, you know, like, and it wasn't just one hit, that's the end. It was a real breakdown, like the legs go, the arms go, the humiliation follows, and then finally the death blow is delivered. It was really shocking. It was, yeah, really terrifying. Uh, The third thing I wanted to talk about, Lloyd, you might not be aware of this, but recently some rights have been acquired and uh, one of my favorite films is going to be remade. This is horrendous to me because <laughs> because uh, it's a classic in my eyes. It's um, an important movie in my eyes. The actors involved in the film are still very relevant and good actors. Uh, the film is Memento. Christopher Nolan's Memento <laughs> from only 15 years ago, 2000, uh, is going to be remade and... As much as the people that have bought the rights are happy to say they're going to, you know, uh, do their best to create a worthy remake of this film, I, I love Guy Pearce. I think Christopher Nolan's amazing. I feel like any Memento remake should be met with hatred. <laughs> um, <laughs> can you imagine such a world where Memento is being remade? It's interesting, the story with Memento. Um, they went up to Steven Sodenberg and was like, oh, look, we got this film. We think it's absolutely amazing, and we just can't get any buyers. And he goes, oh, what's the film? Oh, do you mind having a look? And Steven Sodenberg watched it, and he goes, what do you mean you can't sell this film? And they said, yeah, no one wants to buy it. This is a disgrace. And Sodenberg pushed so hard that he he managed to get that movie sold and talked up Christopher Nolan so much he got him the job on Insomnia and of course his career shot up from there but it's just a, such a great film, Memento it's absolutely fantastic I haven't seen it in a long long time but the fact that they're remaking that particular film, that baffles me Dave <laughs> mm, apparently on the English well. Blu-ray there's a special feature on it that Nolan cut himself apparently that it's all in sequential order I don't yeah. know if you've heard of that or seen it, but um, I'm curious about I it. I haven't seen it. I, I really feel like watching it that way would ruin the yeah, film a little absolutely, bit for me. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Because I remember watching it at the cinema and just being baffled. It was such an intriguing puzzle to watch the film, and I was so intrigued to see at what point the film would end because at what point it really began. The film is in reverse, for those who don't know. Scene by scene, um, he has a memory problem, Guy Pierce's character, and uh, his body is covered with tattoos and he basically uh, spends his life trying to piece together who killed um, the, the, he's trying to find the man that murdered his wife raped and murdered his wife his mission statement is tattooed on his chest he does a really great job with this guy Pierce and I was uh, the art, the style, everything about it I mean I'm a big Memento fan I remember when you recommended it to me I was like oh it's just style, the director's got no skill he's just hiding behind the style like tr- trust me he's not that good boy was I proven wrong <laughs> I can't believe I thought that I remember I was so angry when they announced America an, uh, an American remake of um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo because it had been so recent since the European ones and then the moment I saw David Finch's name I was like oh I'm sure it'll be fine it'll be a very very good film <laughs> Fincher won't do Memento because <laughs> that would change my opinion <laughs> just a little bit 
Um, but no, I don't, I don't think it should be touched. It's the same with like a Back to the Future, uh, Shawshank Redemption, Fight Club, as I mentioned. And Ghostbusters. And Ghostbusters <laughs> is getting like a reboot, not a remake. I'm not intrigued by this at all. <laughs> Bad news on the Memento front. Guys, uh, thanks for joining us for this episode of Pod Me If You Can. You can find us at www.podmeifyoucan.com. We uh, have got a link to our Facebook page there. You can uh, get in touch with us, send us some feedback. Also, there's a link to our YouTube channel. We review films with famous stars in them. The films are very obscure, though, so early in their career or uh, straight to DVD or TV movies, things you may never have heard of. So uh, check those out. We're approaching 100 episodes on our YouTube channel. Uh, Special thanks to everyone who's had a click, had a look. We're looking forward to a big year of uh, 2016, gee, uh, of uh, Pod Me If You Can films, as we've mentioned in this one, Hateful Eight will be among those reviewed. Uh, as well, December brings us Star Wars Lloyd, which we're looking forward to, The Force Awakens. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> no doubt about it. We're very psyched to talk about that we're one. We're so, so spoiled, um, Dave. We are so spoiled. That's it. It's a great time to have a film podcast as well. <laughs> thanks, everyone, for listening. Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Pod Me If You Can. Movie Reviews.